god, that's so good. Oh, I ate all mine like I scarfed. Like, <laughs> I don't leave things. <laughs> they all go. That's why I was up so late last night. I made like a little pot of spaghetti and I was like, okay, I'll just leave. I'll eat like half of this little pot and, and then I'll put the rest in the fridge. And I never just, yeah, I don't, I don't leave things. I had to go back and finish it. We did like right before you text, we were around the table. Everybody had already eaten and I pulled out, I had the crazy dip at Baja, mm. which is like the cheese and uh, chicken and uh, chorizo. So good. And onions. And so I reheated that and all three of us stood up around <laughs> the dining room table with a huge bag of Tostitos and like sat there and just dipped it into the crazy dip. I mean, for like 30 minutes. You act, I mean, yep. it was like we were ravenous wolves. <laughs> And we just sat around and talked and did that. And then after it was gone, we we're like, okay, go to bed. <laughs> See, that's why, that's why I like, that's, that's the primary, honestly, the primary reason why I like football season <laughs> is because there are more dips mm -hmm. in football season. And you, because you're watching a football game, there's less like self blame for eating them that way. Right. <laughs> it's like at Super Bowl is like one of my favorite things because I just sit there and dip all, all like for day. hours and hours. Dip is my favorite. Mm, like, so even good. like, uh, so I love pimento cheese. And I love it as a dip. I don't want a pimento cheese sandwich. I want crackers and mm -hmm. pimento cheese. And I will sit there. And I like small foods like that where like little bite size. Yeah. And I want that for dinner. I want that for lunch. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times I do have that for dinner and for lunch. <laughs> which explains a lot. See, I have that and then I have dinner and lunch. <laughs> <laughs> that explains a lot too. <laughs> oh my goodness. Hi, Marleya. Hi, Patrice. Oh, this is just what I needed today. So we are having um, hottie toddy. Or I shouldn't say toddy. hot toddy because... Oh, Noelle will be listening. She'll just be happy we said hottie toddy. Sorry. <laughs> Hell state. Anyway. <laughs> um, yes, because it is the season of drastic weather changes mm -hmm. and colds and just general gunk. Yeah. And this is a proven way to make all that go away. Exactly. It, mm -hmm. It's a, you know, recipe as old as time. I think, I think, uh, who is it that sings that <laughs> recipe as old as time? <laughs> True as it can be. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying not to get sick. So I don't think you could probably hear it yet. So that's good. I think I'm holding it off. Okay. Good. But the rest of my house sounds like mm, shit. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, seriously, as soon as it went from 100 degrees to like 40 degrees, mm -hmm. it was instant, just not factory for everybody. Yeah, <clears throat> and it rained all day yesterday, and all of a sudden it dropped back down, so we're in a freeze warning, Right. I don't know, until like January. Yeah, and I'm just, obviously, I'm not going to call the people to come fix my heat, so you're seriously like... I'm just walking around with a small heater with me, so whatever room I land in, I just like <laughs> put the heater down and heat up that room for a little bit and then if i gotta go to the bathroom i take the heater <laughs> with me plug it in there go to the bathroom. and i'm saving money i am saving so so you know the they used to say that like the the heaters took up more energy but you know in your your house is so big though that you close off some rooms yeah. and if you're not in there if you're not running them all the time you know right. if you're just running them in the room you're in yeah i could totally see that yeah so well, that's courtney's situation too right but yeah we are we have central heating but it just 
none of our central anything works very well. Mm. And it's not the units re- it's not the units fault, it's the the venting and everything. It's right. like all the, the it's like pipes the are hard leaky. and expensive stuff to replace. Exactly. Right. And you know, we live in a split level. It's just it that's how they all are. Mm-hmm. And um I'm not gonna buy a second fucking system. So yeah, last week I rolled the radiators into each of the kids' rooms and uh this I was wondering why we Abby got out of the shower this morning and went back into her room and she was like why are all the animals in here? And it took me a minute to realize she was the only one that had left her heater on all night. And so they were all like curled up around the heater and just like the little cat slept in there all night last night. She's a smart thing. Yeah. Uh, They, they sense when that heat comes on. Cause right now I have the heating blanket on the couch still going because the dog immediately crawled onto it. And so did the cat. So they're like all (laughs) snuggled up on the heating blanket. So we have to buy two of things, one for the animals and one for us. Yeah. I just gave one of my blankets to the dog the other day cause I washed her and it wasn't warm enough in the house. Mm -hmm. And so she walked up to me like about 20 minutes after I dried her off and brought her downstairs and she she was just standing there and all of a sudden she would like shudder. <laughs> right? So I took that. I was like, I'm so sorry. I took this blanket and covered her up and now it's hers because I'm not taking it back. So. Right. So uh, it's cold. and That's the news. It's That's the news. And we're drinking hot dickle. <laughs> no, we're not. I have not. Have I made you try hot dickle? No. Okay. I need to get some hot dickle. I know I've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. It is the George dickle that is aged in Tabasco barrels. Right. And I talk about it to everybody because I think it's hilarious to say hot dickle. Right. But I also really, really like it. Right. So I'm going to get some and we'll shoot it. Okay. We'll maybe we're happy. drinking warm dickle then. We're drinking warm. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds nasty. Cold dickle? No, Shrunken dickle. <laughs> um, we... <laughs> Yeah, we have, let's see, as far as notes, uh, well, last night, uh, you'll see this on socials well before this show comes out, right. so you'll probably already know about this, but in case you don't, last night, our friend Jeff from the Parental Advisory Movie Podcast um, invited us onto his show to talk about a movie called, is it called Wrinkles or is it called Wrinkles the Clown? I think it's called Wrinkles the Clown. Okay. Um, it's a short documentary we all watched and we just like talked about, talked about it for honestly, like close to two hours last night. Um, and he asked us a bunch of questions about us and, you know, our approach to movies and what we like and don't like and all that stuff. So it was kind of fun. And Mm -hmm. we, um, you know, we had a good time talking to him and enjoyed it. So, uh, I think he said that by the time this episode you're listening to comes out, his will have already dropped. So go, we'll, we'll have a link. You can look for it, but it's parental advisory movie podcast, um, and yeah, so go look that and, and that check was, out his other stuff. And, you yeah. know, they talk about all kinds of movie reviews and just, you know, trivia and stuff like that. Right. Yes. I felt like really like, cause he asked like, what was the first movie your parents took you to? And I'm just like, I don't know. A lot of the questions he asked was like, I have no recollection. I can't remember fucking this morning. So yeah, yeah. I had that problem too because he that like close to the end he was asking all and even stuff like what was the first movie you took your kids to? Oh yeah, was that like, was the really that the was hardest only one. Like ten years ago, and I have no idea have what it no was. Idea. I even asked the girls, and they didn't they remember. Didn't, yeah, either. I'm sure my son would not know <coughs> either. Um, my husband might know, but that stuff I just don't store that stuff. So it's like you know. I am at capacity, so (laughs) any new information shoves old information out, and so I was like, I need to keep all this. I need to, yeah, I need an external, severely. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't really think I have any show notes. I probably do, and I wrote them down somewhere, but I have no idea where they are. I don't really have anything um, from last week. I don't think we got any notes or anything like that. And so yeah, we're well, good to go. So good to go. This may be a short episode. Yeah. We'll find out. Woo-hoo. I'm already feeling loopy. So I'm feeling all warm and sweaty now. So <clears throat> sweaty tickle. Well, I guess it's me. Do you want to just go ahead and hit it? Which is yeah. We'll just go. Do it. <coughs> so, um, it's funny. It, will we have released Trey's listener lore? Are God, we hold, we're kind of so holding on to good. that. It's I know. It's like gold and I'm, I really want to go in there and like treat it well and like do a big ta-da cuz it's so good. I love that story so much. So you may not have heard it yet, so right. I won't I won't tell you really much about Maybe it. Maybe a new year surprise or something. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. yeah cuz it is it is super cool. But I just wanted to clarify that I I have been thinking about this since before his listener lore came out or since before he told us his story. So oh. um this is like several several months but it did kind of push it to the front of my brain so mm-hmm. um i'm just gonna jump in with my notes and you get no context here we go <laughs> do it so in 2013 44 of military recruits in the country came from the southern region of the u.s okay I'll so even though third only 36 percent of the country's 18 to 24 year old civilian population is in this area 44% of recruits in that age group, which, you know, they're generally in that age group, right. came from the South. The states with the highest number of military enlistees, Georgia is the absolute highest wow. in the country, followed by Alaska, which is interesting because it's the least populated state yeah. in the country. Yeah. South Carolina, Texas, which is the second highest population in the country. Right. And Alabama is number five. Okay. And these are 2019 stats. Okay. It's funny because I was also thinking about some of our other friends that we met on in Montgomery, too, who were, you know, who were in military or spouses were in the military or whatever. All this all this kind of came up this week. Um, So and I was trying I was kind of I think a lot about this, like I look up these stats and everything and I'm thinking, like, why? Why would the South be more of, you know, why would the ratio be so much higher? Mm, I have an idea, but go ahead. I have several too. And I was like, tell me what yours is. So my idea is just lack of other opportunity. Yeah. That was one of mine too. It's like I had like some of it, I was like, some people are idealistic and Mm -hmm. you may have more idealism in some places in the South because there's more, I think a lot of folks would call it patriotism. I call it nationalism. Right. Um, that people are raised to be more nationalistic in a lot of senses in mm-hmm. some places in the South and, right. or in more rural places, which right. the South has more of, you know. Right. And the rural places too is like you stick more with families and so it's mm-hmm. more of a, becomes more of a tradition that's passed down. Yeah, like dad was in the military and right. grandpa was in the military. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like I also wrote down like Southern Baptist churches that worship the flag alongside the cross or higher, right. honestly, if you right. um, are everywhere and, right. you know, it's a, a big part of society. So I was like, OK, well, that's that's a, maybe for some people. Um, desperation was right. the second one. It was like, what Which else are you going to do? With poverty. It's like it's exactly. a way out of poverty. Exactly. When that poverty is higher, you grab onto the way out. It's a pragmatic, smart move for a lot of people. Right. Um, and, you know, pragmatism, again, is like you get career training opportunities when you yeah, enlist. and education paid for. Exactly. And, yeah. GI Bill, college assistance, like lots of opportunities. Lots of opportunities. So there are tons of different reasons why people would. And some of those reasons might be more prevalent, like in, mm-hmm. in the southern states. Right. So um, 
it was weird thinking like the kids entering college now, now my, um, my nephew just started at JSU this, this year and kids his age have never known us to not be in a war. And so a lot of enlisted folks are seeing combat right. more than they did probably when we were right. growing up. Right. Um, you know, and at that level when people would be going in. Right. Um, <clears throat> So one of the things that goes along with this is, of course, PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, so a VA study found that like 12% of Gulf War vets, that was my dad's, you know, my dad was there, mm-hmm. developed PTSD. Um, let's see, more than 13% of op- like Iraq and Afghanistan, Operation Iraqi Freedom and Enduring Freedom, mm-hmm. um, developed PTSD. Vietnam vet population was 30% PTSD. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. I thought it was Alexa. I was like, I didn't yeah, I thought it was say Alexa anything too. to you. Right. Let me go turn off my phone ringer. Mm-hmm. You can keep talking. Sorry. Um, so anyways, it's more recognized now. It's actually a D, like a DSM recognized um, uh, issue. So if you're not familiar with PTSD or if you think you are, but you've never really looked into it, which is kind of me. It involves like if you if you suffer and it doesn't have to be military trauma. Right. But it's it's more prevalent in the military, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's any kind of trauma that you could experience. You get um, the some of the criterion for PTSD are flashbacks, um, nightmares, emotional distress and physical response to triggers. So like your amygdala is like, oh, my God, we're in danger. Like right. because you hit a bump in the road. Right. Um Guilt, depression, isolation, aggression, difficulty sleeping, excessive risk taking, difficulty concentrating, like hard, it makes it hard to focus mm-hmm. and like hyper vigilance. Mm-hmm. So like any or all of those things can be present in somebody who's suffering from PTSD. And there was one neuropsychologist that talked about PTSD. It's a normal, it's the brain's reaction. It's a normal reaction to an abnormal event. Right. And one of the reasons why they use a lot of exposure therapy, like therapy groups for traumatized individuals, a lot of the time do the kind of reliving thing. Right. It's the exposure therapy. There's even like a virtual reality. It's a gaming based um, treatment right. for vets with PTSD where they go into environments that look like the environments in, you know, where they Is were. Is it like a desensitization of something that they've been thinking about? Is that how that works? I don't think it's exactly desensitization, but the way that this person described it, it's like uh, your brain, everything happens so big and so fast mm-hmm. in traumatic experiences that your brain just can't grab it all at once. Right. And so to continually go through the specifics of it gives your brain time to figure out how to acclimate to it. Uh, Okay. And so, and that can take years. Wow. And so, you know, the exposure therapy, I guess the, the goal of it, and I'm sure there's somebody out there who can speak to this much better than I can, but from what I understood, the goal of it is to give your brain a chance to catch up Mm -hmm. and figure out what it needs to do with this kind of input mm-hmm. because it's fear center is activated and it doesn't know how to get down. Right. And so, you know, it, it takes a long time to kind right. of acclimate back to things being normal. Right. So my granddad is 93 years old and he, he has PTSD. Wow. Yeah. Um, from World War II being a gunner on a 
airplane. And I read about some of that is like, because back then they called it shell shock. If they mm-hmm. called it anything, mm-hmm. you know, they called it shell shock. And they said there was even, I think this might've been in World War One. They first recognized the the symptoms of shell shock was like a, a madness, and they started to call it hysteria. But right. hysteria was a feminine illness, right? And so, and they also like the government wouldn't cover treatments. Now, this would have to you'd have to double check this, but my memory right. says the government wouldn't cover treatments for men who hadn't been shown to be actually near like bombs dropping mm-hmm. because it was like ancillary. So like, oh, you don't really have it. You know, right. you just couldn't deal. Right. No, he's been recently diagnosed. I mean, it's been, you know, 70 so years mm-hmm. and he just recently got diagnosed because he has trouble sleeping and mm-hmm. he can't stop thinking about it. And um, he's obsessed with it. It's obsessive. Mm-hmm. It, it bugs him. Man. Yeah. 70 years. Yeah. Oy. Yeah. So that's the reality mm-hmm. for lots of people of all ages who've been through through war. Um, veterans, and, you know, one of the things that comes along with that, like following the process, veterans right. are about twice as likely to die by suicide as a civilian population. Right. Um, between 15 and 20 vets a day die by suicide. And younger vets who are currently, like, in the 18 to 34 age group have the highest suicide rate of right. veterans. So... Um, there are a bunch of groups that do things to help. Of course, the VA has lots of programs, but mm-hmm. the VA is notoriously understaffed, underfunded, and overburdened. Right. And people have to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait to right. get help. Um, there are private counseling and therapy groups that people can go to. Um, and I'm I'm hoping uh, I'll I'll include some links to some of these resources, whatever I can find, you know, mm-hmm. on the show notes. But. Um, you know, community organizations offer help and religious organizations provide assistance too. And this is where we start getting into the meat of what I'm going to talk about. Um, some of it would be really valuable. A lot of religious organizations will do ther- like it's, it's not always like recognized therapy groups, but I mean, even talking, I right. mean, being in any kind of community where you can feel comfortable to talk about things you've been through would be helpful at some level. Right. Um, but predictably, when you're in this kind of situation where they're not bound by, you know, the scientific findings mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff, you're going to get some off the wall or even damaging offers to help. Right. So um, one one example of this is like in 2013, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy. Kenneth Copeland is a televangelist. He is a fucking asshole. He has been a fucking asshole on like live television to multiple people. He's a nightmare. And he um, he actually had, you know, we're, right now it's the weekend before Veterans Day for us. Mm-hmm. And he had a Veterans Day program that he did with Dan Barton, who's a famous fucking historic like revisionist. Um, but he he said he was praying for people. And then he said, any of you suffering from PTSD now, you get rid of that right now. You don't take drugs to get rid of it. It doesn't take psychology. The promise right here in the Bible will get rid of it. And he he basically like was telling people that they're wrong to seek treatment. Mm. And went on to say like that their personal guilt for being in war was the reason why they were having these negative impacts, which isn't true. Right. It's scientifically not true. I mean, so he just went on this tirade, him and Dan Barton talking about how unhelpful 
these other things would be. And if you could just turn to God, then, mm-hmm. and you know, send, like, you know, $50 check. Right. To so, yeah, I mean, it's so there are yeah. people out there. They're absolute nightmares. Um, <clears throat> and there's, you know, and a lot and I will say a lot of them really well-meaning. Oh, yeah. But like there's a there was a 2008 survey. Baylor psychology professor Matthew Stanford said 36 percent. And now listen. I'm saying this with a grain of salt because I don't think the numbers add up, but 36% of mentally ill church attendees in his survey were told that their illness was a product of their own sin. This is not surprising at all to me. Yeah. Um, 34% were told their illness was caused by a demon. Um, 41% were told that they do not have a mental illness at all. And 28% were instructed to stop taking psychiatric medication. Holy fuck. So, but that, you know, and that's 2008 and there has been a lot of progress, like in the culture in general, trying to get rid of some of the stigma of mental illness. So I would hope that that has changed a lot, Yeah. but I know it hasn't changed entirely. Yeah. No, you know, I really think that you know, various degrees of mental illness is the norm and people who have quote unquote healthy mental facilities or whatever Mm. is the abnorm. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. That's one of the things I always thought, like the DSM, like the manual of the diagnostic manual for psychologists, I was like, they're basically just like, they're telling you what normal is by telling you what not normal is. And I was like, and there isn't a normal Right. You know, there's just varying shades there of fucked up. Shades you know? of fucked <laughs> like, up. We're all on the same spectrum, you guys. Yes. But, you know, and, and not to trivialize because when no. you get to something like PTSD, yeah, yeah. You are you are in a like a dark shade and right. that is rough and it's it's hard sometimes to yeah, get Yeah, no, I wasn't help. trying to take away Oh no, from no, I know anything, you're not. I just but, want to clarify. Right. So, and and you know, it again, I'm talking about churches. I'm not trying to trash all churches. It's it isn't all churches and there are a lot of people that offer good Christian counseling or Muslim counseling or, right. you know, all kinds of different things that you can do. Um, but this week I ran across one story that is just really freaking oddball. And it was hard for me to like kind of get my head around it. And I read a whole book on it this week. Um, it's called Demon Camp. It's a book by Jennifer Percy. It was written in 2015. So she had been writing in New York Times Magazine about soldiers in the war and coming home from the war. And so she had a lot of contact with um, <clears throat> with folks who were recovering and who were recovering from trauma and trying to accept that they had incurred trauma, you know, all that kind of stuff. And she ran across this guy named Caleb Daniels. He was originally from Missouri, and his his backstory – was more on the desperation line of why you enlist. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was like there isn't opportunity, you know, the family wasn't supportive at home. There there may have been abuse, you know, you know, you didn't go in in the best mental state, but you were trying to do something to get yourself out of that situation. So <clears throat> that was his backstory. Um he went to Afghanistan. He trained with uh special ops and he ended up um I'm trying to remember, was he a pilot or a gunner? Anyways, he he was with a Chinook helicopter called mm-hmm. the Evil Empire. It was Chinook number uh, 146. And they would drop special ops forces into, you know, zones where they would then go and do, and then they'd have to go back and and pick them back up. Um, so there was, it was either 2004 or 2005, they had a run that they were supposed to do. Um, he was called out of the chopper at the last minute he was supposed to go. He ended up not going his best friend and all of his 
um, team were on the chopper together. Mm -hmm. They went out and got shot down without him, you know, burned up completely. Everything went. There was one survivor of it. Um, His best friend was gone. They had to do rescue missions just to get what they could of the remains back. Mm. Um, So it was it was bad. Yeah. And that wasn't even, you know, of course, that wasn't even the only thing this guy has gone through. At right. all, not even close. Right. But that was a very close, you know, that those were his people. He was supposed to be there, you know, so he had a lot of trauma. Survivor guilt, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, so much. Yeah. Um. So he, he goes on to describe these, like, nightmares that he's having. You know, he experiences these horrors after he tries to kill himself multiple times. He's seeing the number 146, the name, the number of his his chopper mm. everywhere. He's waking up at night at one forty six in the morning. Mm. He gets a dollar forty six in change at a Mexican restaurant. Oh, shit. He like he starts realizing he's seeing it everywhere. So he's like, I'm gonna buy a lotto ticket and see if I <gasps> can win on one forty six. And he won five hundred bucks. Holy shit. It's weird. Oh my God. Um it, I just had chills. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> and yeah. and you know you you want to say it, there's so much confirmation bias, like cognitive bias in, involved in all of this. Like, are you just seeing it because you're looking training yourself to see it? Mm-hmm. But some of that's just, yeah, it's a bit beyond, right? It is beyond. So Kip starts following him around. Like Kip is his best friend from the chopper who went down with the chopper. Oh, and shit. he starts seeing Kip walking through his apartment. Um Damn. You know, talking to him, he starts talking back, you know, they're having like he he starts talking about demons Mm -hmm. and he says he um, sees a tall, like six foot seven or something like dark figure with buffalo horns. Holy fuck. That starts like charging him (gasps) regularly, stalking him, haunting him, showing up everywhere and he ends up identifying it like to to Jennifer Percy, the the author, the, Mm -hmm. the reporter as a war demon called the destroyer. Holy shit. He says, you know, it tells him, you know, that it's going to kill him. And, you know, he is just haunted by all this. So when, when he met Jennifer, the reporter, he was talking up to her, this religious experience of deliverance from demons that he had experienced. So at this time he says, you know, he was dedicating his life to saving other soldiers from suicide through this kind of spiritual deliverance, whatever it is he's talking about. But here. was he like in, in, um, admit seeing the shit mm-hmm. when he was talking to her at mm-hmm. this time? Okay. Oh yeah. Sorry. Okay, yeah. I mean, he was 100% all the way through the story. Very, very open with everybody about what he was seeing. Right. Um, you know, girlfriends, ex-wives, you know, everybody knew mm. what he was going through. Um, and it freaked everybody out. Well, yeah. Cause you know, there's so. talk about like passing trauma on to other people because your partners right. would have to experience all that also. And that was a big part of the book I'm not going to get into, but, um, you know, I'm needless to say, I'm recommending this book cause I didn't think I liked it that much. And then I got to the end of it and I could not freaking stop thinking about it. Um, so he, beyond just saying he was going to try and help other soldiers stop, you know, not, not commit suicide. Mm-hmm. He said he was going to start a company to repurpose military vehicles for other uses. He was going to employ veterans only to fix up because that's a lot of the skills that the people in his set had learned right. was, you know, how to, how to fix these things. Mm-hmm. And, um, so Jennifer said, you know, you're the person that has really kind of hit my brain with this. And I want to shadow you for a while. Mm-hmm. You take me through this, whatever this experience is that you've done. Mm-hmm. 
So he ends up taking her to Portal, Georgia. And I couldn't find any reference to why it's called Portal, where the name came from, P-O-R-T-A-L, Portal. Like, okay. And um, they say, you know, the people that they met say mm-hmm. that this is a place where, again, like like other places we've talked about, the veil is thin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it's an hour northwest of Savannah, mostly west, slightly north. Okay. Um, less than 600 people population. Okay. And in Portal, there's this couple called Tim and Katie Mathers. They live in a double wide. Down the street from their place, there's a Bible college that closed years ago that's now just used for community events, kind of rented out. And in that building, they would say that they could release you from suicidal thoughts and PTSD symptoms and exercise your demons for $200. Okay. And, like, that's how it's called Bear Creek Ranch. And that's how, like, all the articles about this book started is you can go into the backwoods, like, rural dirt roads of Georgia and be exorcised for 200 bucks. Wow. So Jennifer, the reporter, stayed in the preacher and his wife, Tim, Tim and Katie Mathers, home with them, lived with them for a little while, like a couple weeks, I think, followed Caleb everywhere. He had married the minister's daughter, whose name was Eden. Um and she describes, uh, her descriptions are great, but they're definitely the descriptions of somebody who is not used to being around country folk. Right. And so she describes the place from a position of like otherness. Mm-hmm. And I remember that feeling. Like I remember when I first moved down here, it, there was some stuff I had to get used to. Mm-hmm. So I can hear some of that in there. But I mean, it's stuff like, you know, she she's not used to seeing ke- kids pee in the yard. So oh, it's something, yeah. you know, she's not used to seeing kids running around naked in right. the backyard. That's just the way, that's just okay. normal. <laughs> you right. know, I mean, like, and it kind of comes off like she's saying it's like a symptom of severe poverty or it's a, you know, there there's a weird kind of, I, I don't think it's a judgment, but there there's a sort of, you're definitely not from around here. Right. That comes out in the way that she writes about it. You know right. what I mean? So you got to be ready for that if you're going to read it. Right. And so I think sometimes their, their like environment comes off a little bit more redneck and mm. a little bit weirder than it probably was in reality. Right. Um, but you know, there's lots of people living in the house, like family members, lots of grandchildren all the, all around all the time, mm-hmm. you know? <clears throat> and, um, Tim, this pastor, talks about having, like, a history of seeing visions. He was in, I think, the Air Force, and, you know, he started kind of recognizing demons. I'm using air quotes because I, you know, cannot Mm -hmm. verify or, you know, but um, started recognizing those in other people and trying to draw those out of other people because I guess he had experienced a deliverance of his own at at one point. Um, So, you know, it it talks about like, you know, when he first started doing it, like demons manifesting, which I guess is like he could physically see the demon come out of people puking, like very much exorcism kind of stuff, like exorcist, you know, puking, levitating, all that kind of mess. Um, You don't see any of that in this book. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, basically what they would do, they, they would, they focused on military guys with PTSD Mm -hmm. and they would invite them and say like, we can help you specifically through this. And, um, 
you know, a lot of the vets would stick around and they would work on cars for the family and they would kind of mentor other people through this deliverance process and help out with the ministry or whatever. Um, but you know, just weird stuff like of all the people just kind of staying around the house, this is woman, Pam, who seems to kind of live there, but she's not related to anybody, but she's always just kind of around. She goes out for milk one day and she comes back and she's like wide eyed and crazy. And she's banging on the door and everybody's like, what's up with you? And she said, I just saw a poverty demon cross the street. I almost hit it with my car. And she describes something that you might describe like a Bigfoot like, Mm -hmm. but she, she says she saw it in the street and everybody, it's just kind of like run of the mill. Like nobody seems that surprised and everybody just kind of, Oh, well, you know, that's just, you know, that's right. just the poverty demon that just showed up. Somebody called me about it the other day. It's very, like, it's very weird. Yeah. Um. So, you know, she spends, the, the reporter spends all this time with a family. She asks Tim, can I see a deliverance session? And he's like, no, because demons transfer. It's too dangerous for you to be in there. Right. Um, and... So, you know, he had said, like, when I get demons out of people, one of them went into a parking lot and went into a cat one time, he tells her. He tells her one of them went into the parking lot and, like, broke somebody's or stole somebody's car radio. He's, like, all this weird shit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Caleb starts asking her, Caleb, the, the vet who brought her into this originally, who says that he has had his demons exorcised by these people. Right. He, um, he asks her if she thinks she needs deliverance Mm -hmm. and he asks her again and again, and he kind of pushes the issue and it seems to be the only way that she's going to be able to see this happening to really know what it is. And so she agrees eventually to be delivered by Tim Mathers. Um, So what it is, they call it a deliverance uh, retreat. And, um, it's a three day retreat starts on Friday ends on Sunday. Um, there's a deliverance team there and this is in the, they would do this sometimes in their own trailer. They would do this in, you know, wherever they happen to have a space available. So it wasn't like they didn't do it in a church. They're not, he even wrote a book, I guess Tim Mathers did about like trying to assuage people's guilt for leaving churches because churches were lukewarm and churches don't really listen for the voice of God. And you know, that kind of extremist sort of stuff. Right. So, um, you know, they're in this, this closed up Bible college down the street and it's just this big multi-purpose room basically with folding chairs and, you know, a little, a little kitchenette where some old lady is in there making food for everybody all the time. It mm-hmm. sounds exactly like every church, you know, right. like <laughs> recreation hall or like that you've ever been to. Um, <clears throat> they have a deliverance team of five to seven people. In her case, one of them is the 10-year-old granddaughter of Tim Mathers. A 10-year-old is on this team of people who's supposed to deliver you from demons. Um, The first day is all about just learning about demons in general, like how they manifest, what they are, how it works. Like there's supposed to be one lead demon in everybody. And if you get rid of that one, all the other ones are supposed to follow. And yet somehow people are constantly coming back for more deliverance. So, you know, questions. We have questions. Right. You have to read Tim's book, Prophetic Deliverance, in advance, which I honestly thought about buying. It was 15 bucks, and I'm not going to buy a piece of shit for 15 bucks. Right. Contribute to. Right. I don't want to contribute to it. Um, 
Saturday is the day of the actual deliverance. And Sunday was supposed to be kind of a recovery follow-up prayer thing. So that was going to be the schedule. They were fed out of this little kitchen in the back. Like I said, it sounded kind of like an AA meeting or, like I said, any other meeting in a multipurpose room. There was a guy there who was like, is it harder to get rid of gay demons? You know, I mean, oh, that's God. the – there's some of that. And yeah. there there was a story in there, too, about how the – Shouldn't the, be surprised. I know. Yeah. About how the preacher's wife one time, you know, when they were early married – they had said that she had a demon and they couldn't identify it. And then they prayed and prayed and they discerned that it was the demon of whoredom was what they said. And it turned out she had been raped as a child and they, they call it the demon. And of they, whoredom. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or the slut demon or the Jezebel. So, I mean, there's a lot of that stuff that is red flags for a lot of us, you know, mm-hmm. that is, is kind of enveloped in this. Right. Um, so, during um uh when the time comes for you to be delivered he's telling people like they'll they'll sit in folding chairs in a circle around you you'll be in the middle the people in the deliverance team will listen to the holy spirit they won't talk to you they won't ask you you know why you're there or what your problems are or any of that but they'll they'll just listen to the holy spirit these seven people to identify your lead demon and then they'll call it out and he says, it's not like watching The Exorcist. It's not dramatic. It's mm-hmm. like a 30-minute ordeal. It's not a big deal. Um, and, you know, which is in contrast to some of the stories that he's been telling right. Jennifer, like, as she's leading up to this. Right. So he's been through this process, right? Yeah. Yes. Multiple times? He's been through the process. And I can't remember. I guess it was like a traveling preacher that did his original spiritual right. But he's still seeing fucking... Buffalo Horn Bill or whatever. Oh, you mean Caleb or the yeah, preacher? Caleb, yeah, sorry. Caleb's been through it. And like, yeah, it's one of those things. It's like, you, right? You're not delivered though. Right. You know? And so that, that's why I was confused at why he's peddling this so hard when it clearly hasn't helped him. I feel like he, he feels like it has helped him that he's had more purpose. He's like the suicide attempts have dropped at this point, you know, he just found his community. He feels like he's found it. And yeah. And it's funny cause that may be it. He's got a group of people that are relying on him. And I think that, and they also do a lot of like really careful comparing this, uh, this whole deliverance ministry to military. Right. Because, you know, the, the preacher was military and a lot of the people who have undergone it are military. And so a lot of it is set up kind of like it's mission oriented. Mm, bless our hearts. And that's what God. they, they are responding to a lot of the time. Right. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, they, there's a lady there who's like a prophetic painter in this in this room. You know, it's it's Is funny. It like- I know these people. I was like, I'm <laughs> scared to say it, but um, you know, people randomly, you know, over the course of the Friday like prep session, people randomly walk up to Jennifer and touch her and tell her that they love her, and which could be really comforting, but it's also really creepy and cult like and very cult like. Yeah. Um. You know, they talk about the demons that they've had taken out of them in the past. You know, they talk about demons that they can see. There's a woman who says she sees little tiny black demons running around everywhere, and she says it like while she's giggling. It's Jesus Christ. It's very strange. Yeah. Um. I wonder if if they're using demons as another word just for sin i i think in a like you could say that but i think if you said that to them judging by what i've read they would argue that that's not it well obviously i mean you know and i think yeah because a lot of the things that they're taking out of people or professing to take out of people are they're named after like 
issues, you right. know? I mean, the war demon, the guilt demon, right. or the, you know, the control demon was one. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's funny because you kind of hear just this little, like, I I might kind of see how this could be helpful, but not like this. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's so freaking weird. Yeah. It's so weird. Um, so like at one point there's somebody's talking about a healing and at Mm -hmm. one point Jennifer kind of, she fakes a backache. She's just, it kind of, she doesn't plan to do it. It just kind of comes out and she's, somebody says that they have a backache and everybody gathers around her and she's just like, I wonder what would happen. Mm -hmm. So she says it and, um, Oh God, I got to pull this up. I'm going to read a little of it to you. I love that this whole thing is just me doing this like glowing book review of this fucking disturbing book. Um, let's see. Um, Oh, well, maybe I can't because it's not in here. I've written down the wrong pages for things. Anyways, but yeah, they like the um the 10-year-old like when she says she has a backache, the 10-year-old walks up and puts her hand on Jennifer's stomach and says, you know, that she feels something moving around in there and everybody kind of comes around her and touches her and I, I mean, it's a very just surreal experience power suggestion i yeah i would say i mean like i think if you're it's funny the thing that keeps on coming up as i study this stuff is this like concept called maslow's hammer where if the the idea is if all you have if the only tool you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail Nail. Mm -hmm. and so it's that it's cognitive bias again it's Mm -hmm. you know if you're in there and you're ready to see these things and to believe this Mm -hmm. then that's what you get you know and and the opposite is also true right um Although sometimes I really wish I could see where my phone is and find it (laughs) and it just doesn't happen (laughs) Um, yeah. So, I I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to go too far into this, but it's, you know, she stays overnight with this woman who has like volunteered to, you know, they don't have lodging or anything like this. This woman has volunteered to put somebody up, but the woman won't talk to her because the woman knows she has a demon and she doesn't want the demon. So she won't speak to her all Mm. night. That kind of stuff. So that just opens me up for fuckery. Yeah. I would totally just feed her exactly what she's asking for. oh my god oh my god <laughs> just, I know. just just i don't know just that's the demon in me i guess and i have a feeling i don't know this you know uh, it'd be really hard to not i right? think but it's funny because it's like there a lot of these are these older people and it's like there's something in you that's you know they're trying they're trying to be helpful right what do you do you know um so anyway there's um it it's funny. Jennifer bolts at one point. She's just like, I, I can't go through with this. Yeah. And she drives off and Caleb talks her into going back. And she does have her, um, she does have her exorcism. She has mm-hmm. her deliverance ceremony. It is short. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot, um, that happens. They say, they tell her that like her, her heart is wrinkled or, um, you know, uh, withered. And that she needs, there's like, they said that they saw her in a hospital bed with a, a golden liquid next to her. And that's her, and that's a new identity. And she needed like an identity transfusion. And yeah, <laughs> so that was, that was what they told her. We have this handy dandy empty identity over here. I know. Community that you could just feel with your golden liquid. But, um, you know, and I was going to read you more of this, but something's weird with my Kindle. But like she, so... 
you know, she goes through this. It's not that bad. She goes back the next day. She said she actually felt blissed out after she did her thing. Okay. Um, she didn't, it's, it, she wasn't like a believer, right. but she was like, well, this is interesting how the chemicals in my body are doing this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she slept really well that night. She went back for the final day thinking that it was just a quick wrap up and then they'd be gone mm-hmm. and stuff starts to happen. And like they get in a circle and one lady just starts insisting that they pray. And before long, she's demanding everybody dance. And so there's this weird like dance thing happening and they're chanting like, yes, yes, yes. Come, come, Jesus, come. And it starts to sound, I mean, it's super, super culty. Mm-hmm. Starts to sound like weirdly sexual. It's not, but it's like, it's got that kind of energy to it. Mm-hmm. A random kid comes in and says, somebody looks at him and says there are bats flying around his head. So they all kind of go to him and try and like wash him, you know, deliver him. Mm-hmm. And eventually they push Jennifer back into the middle of the circle while all this chanting. And this whole time she's been trying to edge toward the door because she's like, this is weirder than anything else I've seen so far. <laughs> Don't be rubbing up against and me. I know, and I like, know. Saying, yes, yes, come Jesus. <laughs> she starts to, you know, she starts to say like several times, can I go home now? Right. And they're like, no, it's not over. And people kind of push her back in. Mm-hmm. And she ends up in the middle of the circle again. And they, they basically kind of like, tell her that she doesn't believe that she's not buying any of it well yeah that you know jesus needs you know jesus loves her and she's jesus's favorite and they you know they're touching her again and they basically end up yelling at her telling her she has to repeat that she's lovable she has to and they make her say it like six or seven times they make her yell it and you know she ends up just broken down in tears in the middle of the circle yeah and um you know, it's just all kinds of weird ass shit. And when she goes home, the interesting thing, the, the one interesting thing about all this, <laughs> she goes home and, you know, she she does follow up with everybody in the book and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But like after she gets home, she realizes she starts waking up at 146 in the morning. She starts seeing bats and like actual bats start flying into her bedroom at night, she gets bitten by a bat and has to go to a rabies, get a rabies shot. What the fuck? She, like, she goes to her mother-in-law's house and there's, like, a bat caught on... I, I mean, it's just, like, in a net... There's just... All of a sudden, there's bats everywhere. And, you know, she just can't quite... Like, she just can't quite reconcile all of this stuff. And, you know, th- you kind of come away... A lot of the theme of the book is that, like... PTSD, there there are all these kind of traditions in like Greek literature and all kinds of other tribal, like much, much older ancient literature and, and traditions of demons transferring, you know, religious, you know, ideas of like the, you know, demons going into the, the herd of swine. And, you know, there's a lot of this idea of, of wicked things moving from one person to another. And there are theories that trauma changes your genes to the point where you can actually you can pass trauma down through bloodlines Mm -hmm. and you can pass trauma to other people. And you can see it all the way through all these interviews she's done in this book is that everybody who's involved or or peripherally involved with any of this 
is experiencing this trauma. And at the end, it's like they have physically traumatized this woman. Yeah. Like she has gone through and she seems to have developed like some level of PTSD from doing this. Yeah. And so it's like, it's just really sort of fascinating and fucking weird in oh. Georgia that they're doing 200 fucking dollar exorcisms oh and they're God. not even Catholic. And um, they're not even Catholic. I know. So, <laughs> so what the fuck since, are you doing? So since the book was published in 2015, the, um, Bear Creek Ranch is still in operation. They have moved to Cartersville, Georgia, because they were trying to expand and they were going to like build up like a, a motel. They were going to do lodging and all this kind of like a very like um, a singular stop, like a one stop retreat thing. And they were going to make like a cowboy themed town for people to stay in when they were there for their deliverance. Holy shit. And they got a zoning request denied so they couldn't stay there and do it. So they moved to Cartersville and now they do all of these retreats out of the Fairfield Inn conference room in Cartersville. I was like, God, I wonder what that sounds like to the people staying oh in this damn hotel. God. But um can you just imagine like unwittingly have like a hotel reservation when just <laughs> like an exorcist is happening in the ballroom. What the fucking hell? <laughs> I know. <laughs> And, you know, it's all it's all couched in these other terms. So you wouldn't know, you know, you'd walk out and even if there's a sign outside, it would just say spiritual deliverance retreat or wholeness retreat. Right. And you wouldn't have any idea about what's going on in there at all. And, um, yeah, they've actually raised their rates. It's almost $300 now. No lodging included. No food. Um, and Inflation, uh, you know. they don't actually advertise specifically for PTSD relief anymore, mm -hmm. which may have a lot to do with the book. I'm sure they didn't like the book at all. Mm -hmm. But, um yeah, so you can be exercised in Georgia. But not truly. But or, not or truly. You could like actually get what is anti-exercise? Or demonized? yeah, you could you could be you could develop PTSD by going right? to Georgia. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well anything with deliverance, I mean, as the title. <laughs> yeah. You know, I actually looked up that movie because I've never seen it. Mm -hmm. And I, oh, you've I was, never seen deliverance? I've never seen deliverance oh, because it kept on, you know, of course it's like always all the way through the book, deliverance, deliverance. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I wonder if that's intentional. Right. And then I started looking it up and I was like, I've heard all the things about mm -hmm. deliverance, but I've never seen it. So yeah. I, I might have to rent it. You're going to have to like watch that. I don't know if I'd rent it. I would just find it free somewhere. Mm. Well, so that's my story. Wow. Crazy. I, that is crazy. I've got goosebumps. That reminds me a lot of that movie that I made you watch, Frailty. Yes. With the demons. Yep. I thought I think about demons. that a lot. Yeah. Yes. So my favorite movie of all time, which is weirdly enough, is like this really small movie that Bill Paxton directed and um, starred in with Matthew McConaughey mm -hmm. and Powers Booth, all men from Texas. And it's called Frailty. And it is such a plot twister. Yeah. Um great movie i, I yeah, love it's it a very cool movie I, it's like one of the movies that i've seen like multiple multiple times and i'm not like a repeat movie watcher but i've watched it multiple times and like really loved it every time and it yeah it's creepy mm -hmm. and the only other movie um that i've done that to is galaxy quest <laughs> <laughs> i fucking love galaxy quest <laughs> never give up never, never surrender, surrender. <laughs> Oh my gosh, we're going to take a quick break. 
The Goat House Beer Garden in Montgomery is our favorite place to go when we're in Alabama's capital, whether it's to do a show, to visit a dilapidated movie set, or to flip off the governor's mansion. <laughs> so I was talking to James, and he was telling me that the Goat House highlights local artists, singer-songwriters, makers, chefs, brewers, and entrepreneurs of all types, just like the strange South, mm-hmm. big supporter. They intentionally support only original content because they believe that communities begin, grow, and sustain when creatives and entrepreneurs thrive. It's a great atmosphere, great company, and a lot of fun. And it's less than 10 minutes from Hank Williams' grave, which is haunted. So next time you go to say hi to old Hank, stop by the Goat House Beer Garden. Let me, let me drink some more of my nickel. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! That is stout. Uh, care for the common everything. I know. My nose is so clear now. <sighs> and we're back. Hi. Hi. So, amazing story. I'm so hyped about that story. <laughs> I kind of want to read the book, but then I don't. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I'm going to start like, I'm going to start like a bootleg audiobook enterprise where I just read books out loud <laughs> so on hear. record. And then I can give them to you and Lori yes. and whoever else wants the book. <laughs> Underground. Big audible. Okay. So all I got to say is Ranker is the bomb for entertaining <sighs> info. Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> Ranker's awesome. I, well, this, I started looking up UFOs. And um, there's a couple of things like UFO incidences in the South. And so I kind of went down that wormhole for a bit. And I do not know, my story is not on UFOs. <laughs> um, I do not know how I got turned on to this particular story, but like it just magically came <laughs> together. Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> I just breathed whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Deep breath. Continue. Okay. Magic. Magic. <laughs> Magic. <laughs> so anyway, um, this Ranker article that I found that got me started in this was the original folk tales and urban legends that inspired scary stories to tell in the dark. Oh, cool. So I had no clue that these were not like made up by him. These, these, all the stories that he told were actually acquired. Oh, wow. So, um, I'm just going to read some of this article that that's well here, but anyway, so Alvin Schwartz wrote, um, scary stories to tell in the dark (laughs) books. And to tell you the truth, they were my favorite scholastic book fair books. I would like order them every single time. And it's mostly because of the illustrations of Stephen Gamble. Yeah. Oh my God. His illustrations, his illustrations, uh, was a huge inspiration for the strange South, uh, first word mark that I did. Like I seriously, I had those books open and I was trying to capture that texture and that softness of charcoal that he builds in his heart, but he's a master. I am not a master at all, but, uh, scary stories and, uh, Stephen Gamble, definitely a huge inspiration when I think of like horror and tales and campfire stories. Um, 
So, but I didn't know, you know, scary stories to tell in the dark books, you know, while they're terrifying, they're also educational. Hmm. So in the back of each book, which I never knew because I was too busy looking at the pictures, uh, there are story notes and ex- an extensive bibliography, sorry, that explained where Schwartz got his stories from and pointed the readers to other tales of similar types. So these, again, are is folklore that he's collected, and he, he was a genius in putting them together because mm-hmm. obviously he did change some things. Uh, I feel like it is the perfect child's book, and if my son was not so traumatized by <laughs> a lot of things are, not of my own doing... Um, because I try to shelter him like any good helicopter parent would from like anything that's going to give him nightmares. But he goes to school and that's where he learns, mm-hmm. learns about Slender Man. It's where Five Nights Freddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like all these it, all of these horror things that he comes home talking about. I'm like, I know what you're talking about, but you did not learn that from me. Mm-hmm. And definitely not from your your dad because you know my husband's clueless when it comes to horror (laughs) that's not his thing either which is probably where max gets it from um so anyway you know these stories serve kind of as a gateway to urban legends folk tales and classic ghost stories that we may never have heard of Mm -hmm. and definitely you know i'm gonna have to go look into you know more folk tales but it was definitely like these scary stories those books definitely were you know, my first scary stories besides like the littlest witch, which wasn't scary. She was probably my first kind <laughs> of like cute. occult figure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that I read when I was like teeny weeny. But you know, these were my first horror books. Uh, and one of the stories as I was reading through this article is the Me Tidoti Walker story. I'm trying to remember that one. Which, in, well, I'm just going to tell you. Oh, good. <laughs> so, which has a modified ending, but it's actually uh, a Kentucky ghost story. So, uh, it's a retelling of a Kentucky tale uh, that was court- recorded in 1940 in Bloomington, Indiana. So, uh, this folklorist, uh, Herbert Halpert, Herbert Halpert. I swear Hal- to God. Jim Halpert. Yeah. Um, recorded this story titled The Rash Dog and the Bloody Head. And it was a story told to him by by Mrs. Otis Milbur Melcher. I love how they never have first names. It's <laughs> well that, no, that's Mrs. just Otis. That well, Mrs. Otis. Well, clearly that's her husband's name. Yeah. Yeah. And so that pisses me off. It's like, I don't know who this lady is. She mm-hmm. has no form of identity because that is all of her husband's name. Yep. So that I just like, I stewed over that name for a little bit. I'm going to have to go look her up and find her real name um, and not her husband's identity. So the story is about a wealth, uh, wealthy, a wealthy, wealthy, <laughs> a wealthy man that pays someone to stay in a haunted house overnight because supposedly every night there was a head falling out of the chimney. Oh. And so uh, he, uh, he pays this boy like $200 to stay overnight. And so the boy and his dog, they go in there and they're in the living room and he decides to light, you know, a fire because the house is spooky as fuck. And, uh, actually there's a retelling of this. It's really good. Uh, like a voiceover actor, 
does it and uh i'll put the youtube link up to it because he has like has the really nice you know uh vincent price voice telling it so the boy lights a fire to keep him warm and all of a sudden he hears something start singing uh me tadoti walker let me tadoti walker kind of like that and it's far off and 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 then his dog like lifts his head and his dog is like lit Chikichi, Kali, Molly, Dingo, Dingo. And he's like, what the fuck? The dog's talking. <laughs> <laughs> so this goes on and on. And of course, like the uh, sound gets louder and louder. And this is like the perfect campsite. Oh like, my God. Tell. It I'm is to, absolutely perfect. Like, to, I'm going to have to remember this, like, you know, when my son's 30 and I can start telling him ghost stories. I don't know. (laughs) So it just keeps on happening until it gets, like, really loud. And it's like, you know, me, Tadody Walker. And the dog's like, fucking Lynchy, Kitchy, Molly, (laughs) Collie, Dingo, Dingo. You know, and then the head falls out of the chimney. And the dog drops dead. Oh! And right after, you know, the dog drops dead... Uh, the story just ends by you going, boo, like that. So this is the the folklore tale that he uh, got from this folklorist. And so Swartz is, before he wrote the book, he's like telling these stories to like these 12-year-old boys in Bangor, Maine, the hometown of Stephen King. Oh, my God. And, of course, they don't think it's scary enough. And so he Because takes... they have this friend named Steven. He says <laughs> some crazy ass shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Swartz, you know, took this into account. This is him going out and field testing, you know, his stories. And so he revised the ending. And the ending is how it appears in the book. So uh, when the dog took one look um, at the head and fell over dead... The head then turned and stared at the boy, and slowly it opens its mouth, and that's <laughs> how it's supposed to end, right? So that's how it gets you and pulls you in and then scares the shit out of you at the end, or you scare the shit out of whoever's like sitting by you and you're telling the story to. Um, and so this, you know, this very short tale um, has several mot- motifs that like are in strange stories and, you know, including like the haunted house and body parts falling down chimneys and blah, blah, blah. And in folklore and urban legends, there are some truth to things. And as we go into this holiday season, I wanted to talk about a brief history of people getting stuck in chimneys and dying. Oh my God, <laughs> you're my hero. <laughs> so this is actually, and I th- when I was putting this together, I was like, God, I really should save this closer to Christmas. But I'm like, fuck, if, if Walmart's going to start putting their Christmas candy yep. out on Halloween day, then I am going to do this. <laughs> But this, that's the actual name of this Vice article, which Vice is my second love. They are name. the best. Um, and I love the title of this article that I'm fixing to relay to y'all. Uh, because the subtitle is, no joke, chimneys will fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike Pearl, who wrote this article, I that's that's the best title ever. Did, um, you should get I, an award for that. I told you my favorite part of Gremlins is when Billy's girlfriend relates the story of her dad getting stuck in the chimney oh, playing Santa Claus. I 
forgot. And then like three days later, they start to smell things. It's okay. Now I I forgot about that. I sound very weird because I say it's my favorite part. That's kind of disingenuous. So the reason it's my favorite part is because in the next Gremlins movie, they're like kind of poking fun at everything that happened in the first one. Mm -hmm. And so she starts to tell this story about how somebody dressed up as Abe Lincoln and died on Lincoln's birthday. Oh my God. It's like the funniest (laughs) fucking thing. So anyways, yes, yes. I don't think I've ever seen Gremlins 2. Oh, I've got all of them. If you, it's not very good. Okay. But you know. I wasn't a huge fan of the first one. But. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the kitschiness of the first one. Yeah. I think it was more just the grossness. I don't like oh, yeah. bubbly things that explode in microwaves. Oh, yeah. I There's a pretty high as... death count when Billy's mom goes into the kitchen. There's yeah. a microwave, a blender, and yeah. I, I think there's just a head getting chopped off. Oh, and maybe a, a garbage disposal. Garbage disposal. Yeah. There you go. That got me. That that was just, I couldn't take that scene. She's the queen of the movie, though, I got to tell you. Yeah. Like, if you want, that could have been a non-horror movie entirely if it hadn't been for that scene. She mm. is the queen of gremlins. Yeah. There you go. Absolutely. All right. So, and I'm just going to, like, a lot of these are not set in the South, um, but I thought I would just go ahead and relay them to you. So, in 2015, Central California, an alleged burglar died a grisly and torturous death when he got stuck in a chimney. Uh And every time I say chimney, it's funny because my granddad, who was the 93-year-old veteran that I was talking about, says chimney. Chimney. (laughs) And it's not just him. I have heard other older people say chimney. I don't know the origins of that story. So, if somebody knows how some people say or why some people say chimney instead of chimney uh, i'd be happy to hear that (laughs) um so it was far from the first such case but the horrific twist in this situation is that the homeowner lit a fire while the would-be burglar was in there when he heard screaming the homeowner called the authorities but the torrent of heat and smoke had already (gasps) killed the guy oh my god yuck so um so this just goes to show you, like, our kind of trying to tell our kids over and over again that Santa does not teleport into our house, that he actually comes down this filthy old chimney. <laughs> like, while we still propagate that, you know, that legend or whatever, um, it's just funny because chimneys are fucking death traps. <laughs> And they have been for hundreds of years. They will fuck you up. And they will fuck you up. Um, So this is particularly true, especially in the 18th and 19th century in Britain, where it was the fashion to hire chimney sweeps, who definitely who didn't do a majority of the work. They hired climbing boys or apprentices to do most of the work because they were smaller. Oh, child labor. Yes, and because of this. and this is told in a book of the sweepers of old and the climbing boys by Henry uh, Mayhew. Uh, there were short, horrible lives of pre-Victorian chimney sweeps um, that a lot of it has to end in torture and death because of the situations they were in. There was one story in this book in 1813, a boy got wedged in a chimney and his master hears him say, I cannot come up master. I must die here. (gasps) And, um, the ensuing rescue attempt was unsuccessful. So, uh, Matthias also says among these hapless lads were indeed many deaths from accidents, cruelty, starvation, dehydration, and exhaustion, but it does not appear that the number was ever a certain. So there's, I mean, 
they were throwaway kids. Oh, um, this is going to change Mary Poppins forever. That, yeah, this is basically uh, is what he's saying. Also, interestingly enough, the word stuck actually came about uh, through chimney sweeps because it became a word as the act of getting jammed in a chimney. So oh, wow. stuck never existed before chimney sweeps. Huh. It, it just became, actually it was like a um, industry term that they used uh, to s- indicate that somebody or something was stuck in a chimney or, or was, you know, lodged in a chimney. Oh my God. So that was kind of a, an interesting thing that I had no um, idea. So until 1885, uh, you know, unable to go any further, jammed, was never known as stuck. But now we use stuck all the time. Oh, weird. Uh, it is weird. Uh, the Grinch, who climbs down the Whoville chimney with his feet, starts moving slower and slower. Mm-hmm. And his body gets all bunched up. And he's, you know, that way of getting stuck can really kill you. When your knees... When it, your spine is real. Right? <laughs> when your spine is real, right? But when your knees, it shows him in this position of his knees up on his chest mm-hmm. and he's squished in this area. This is called uh, positional asphyxiation. Exfici- oh. And it's a condition when you contort your body and it prevents the normal in and out motions of your diaphragms and you basically die from lack of oxygen and in a chimney chimney i heard it and a chimney there's not enough room to get out of that position see the grinch just like he stops and then he just like shuffles himself back back into a normal position because he's magic because he's magical his spine's not real like santa uh so the good news is that chimney sweeps seem to be getting better and not dying in chimneys all the time because you know of course they don't go in the fucking chimney because we have like robots and uh cell phones i guess i don't know and they're (laughs) (laughs) and they're too big they're not allowed to send children in there anymore right and yeah (laughs) child labor we have child labor laws right um and also designers have like made chimneys better conveyance of smoke like taken away from the house and so um they're just designed better the safety measures are put into place and and actually fewer child labor people are having to sacrifice themselves in the name of chimney maintenance Hmm. so also if you think about it if you've ever like built a fire in an actual fireplace the flue which Mm -hmm. is up at the top uh, it has to be more narrow in order to carry the smoke up quickly into, so it works like a, a funnel. So it's like the more you go down, the smaller it gets. And so it carries the smoke up into this uh, width. And they say that the width of the flu actually is like a tenth of the width of um, the opening of the top of the chimney place. I had always wondered about that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just like, that's the measurement size for it to conduct the smoke up fast um, to get it out of the home. And it's, he says like, you know, in ca- unless you're in a castle, you're generally not going to make it through the opening at the bottom. Cause it's like fucking three inches. Yeah. Um, 
And so the whole like Santa sneaking into the house plan is a non-starter. It's just not <laughs> logically feasible. You're ruining Christmas You're for everyone. <laughs> Children should not be listening to this anyway. So. My kids told, you know, other kids in daycare there was no Santa and we almost got kicked out. So. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, Max knows there's no Santa, but we had this discussion because, you know, and it was like last year, I mean, the boy's 10. And, and I was like, you really know who Santa is. Because, I mean, he's learned Five Nights Freddy, Slender yeah. Man, and all this other, like, horrific bullshit from school and his friends. Um, so I'm sure they told him about Santa Claus. He's like, I know. he's, But he, he says, it's like a return on investment. He wants to believe in him. He doesn't want to not believe in him. Because... Uh, Whatever the case, he gets toys. Mm-hmm. So it's just like he likes to keep up the fantasy. He knows, but he's he's enjoying keeping up the fantasy with everybody because he gets benefits out of it mm-hmm. on Christmas Day. <laughs> so I, I can understand that, Smart that boy. logic thinking there. So people get stuck and they still die in chimneys, unfortunately. Oh, my God. In 1977 in Los Angeles, and this is really funny because there's a disproportion. I mean, it's not funny. It's horrendous. It's a horrible way to die. Uh, but there's a seemingly disproportional number of cases that occur in California for some reason. Really? Yes. I wouldn't even think that they had that many chimneys in California. I don't know why that is. Yeah. Because you can just look out your window and see a fire any moment of the day, apparently, right? according to current, like, right? events. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. So in 77, um, a kid named Robert Thompson got lodged in a chimney uh, of a halfway house under circumstances that we will never know about. And... Um, the medical examiner said the cause of death was probably either starvation or positional asphyxiation. So as many victims of um, chimneys, Robert Thompson's misadventure or possibly murder, because again, we don't know, mm. will, you know, probably never have the details to fill in. And that's, that's the thing with like finding people in chimneys who have died is a lot of times, unless they have like blunt force trauma to the head or a bullet wound or something of that uh, nature, uh, you can't really tell, you know, how they died. Mm-hmm. In 2014, a guy named Leo Wand wrote about an experience. He actually survived a chimney. A <laughs> That's two. <laughs> a chimney. Um, when he got stuck in London, he was just being a goofball and, you know, dicking around. And he was sitting on top of a chimney, dangling his legs in like a jacuzzi, and he accidentally fell in. Oh, and so his fall was slowed down by a bend in the chimney because they're designed different now. And, um, but he kept slipping and he got stuck and he was able to use his cell phone to call an ambulance to help get him out. Oh, wow. So cell phones can occasionally save lives. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you cannot be stupid around chimneys. So, you know, history is full of bizarre missing person cases in which people, um, you know, they disappear and then much later on bodies turn up in chimneys. And since they're dead, they're unable to explain exactly how they got there or why they're there. Um, you know, and they also, you know, can't fall out of the chimney and kill your dog <laughs> by <laughs> saying some weird phrase, <laughs> some bizarre fucked up call and response song. Um 
So, for instance, in 1928, a six-year-old girl and a 19-year-old man in Australia somehow disappeared together and wound up dead in a chimney. Um... And nobody knows why. Uh. However, people like will really grasp at anything to try to explain away the mystery of why people are in chimneys. In 78 in Los Angeles, again, California, <laughs> uh, a body found in a chimney, the police speculated that the guy was high on angel dust or something. Usually if they add or something <laughs> at the end of a statement like that, they fucking don't know. Yeah. And uh, 98, a 12-year-old boy in Sacramento, California, wound up dead in a chimney. And the report mentioned that he had Tourette syndrome and... Um, Attention deficit disorder, which like, what's the fuck? Does the kid had brown hair to do with anything. hair yeah. too? So that has nothing to do with it. Um, and just people are assholes, basically. So, but of course, Saint Nicholas is the patron saint of thieves. Is he really? He is the patron saint of fucking nearly everything. <laughs> I went and looked at this, uh, the list of everything that he's a patron saint of. And it's like three columns long. I wow. swear to God, it's probably like a hundred things. Well, you know, I guess huh, that's interesting. I guess there aren't that many saints, so they don't have a, like a lot to split so, up between. Right. So it's like kind of like advising students. <laughs> yes. It's like if there's only I'm in charge of you now, thieves. Professors, and there's <laughs> 300 students, then yeah, you got to split split it. Hmm. So in Florida in 86, a burglar tried to get into an empty house via the chimney and got stuck. The neighbors heard screaming on the night oh, of the God. attempt. Uh, of the break-in that they couldn't tell where it was coming from, and so they went back to bed. <laughs> Two days later, workers heard tapping sound, but just went about their business. Oh. And then finally, two days after that, the owner got home, and the house started to smell. Like death. Like death, and that's how they found oh. the body. You know, it sucks to break into people's houses, but ugh, bless it. That's mm -hmm. awful. How many days? That's the worst Lord. way to die. Um, well, I'm sure that's worse, but it's a bad way to go. In 89 in New York, a burglar tried to break into a, a Middle Eastern restaurant and actually almost succeeded. However, he got hung up on some unexpected plumbing inside the chimney and wound up having his chest constricted by the tight squeeze and was found dead of asphyxiation the next day. His legs were dangling in full view of oh. the morning crew when they came into work. Oh, God, that's got to haunt oh, a person. Oh, my God, yes. <clears throat> the next year in New York, two burger Berg, burgers, <laughs> two burglars, um, wound up stuck in the bottom of a chimney in a grocery store, and it was not clear whether they were trying to get in or out when they got stuck, but their bodies were found a week later. Uh. Yep, somebody noticed the smell. In a grocery store? What grocery store has a chimney? Was it one of those fake chimneys that didn't actually... <laughs> they, just, they just got really panicked and they climbed into one of those cardboard chimneys and they were like, oh my God, I get it out! I have no idea. That's a good question. Ma'am. Uh, of course, the majority of newspaper reports on burglars and chimneys have happy endings because they get stuck and then they're free and then they go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> and if we're lucky, uh, they even repent and promise to never steal again or they are just weird liars and they claim that they were looking for their classes. <laughs> fail in the <laughs> Watch, I guess, if you're like, you know, up there 
fucking around and you have your glasses or your cell phone and they falls into the chimney, you don't follow it into the no, chimney. You that's fucking a long way down. go to the bottom and look at it the other. Anyway. <laughs> so the most tragic <laughs> the most tragic <laughs> shit. Chimney intruders are the ones who do it not for money, but for love. So <laughs> Some weird fucked up love, oh, okay? Oh, no. Is this going to be an engagement? <laughs> no, no. This is a surprise. Pop oh, out the shit. chimney, baby, baby. <laughs> like, the flu is literally three inches. Like, it's three. <laughs> can, you, can you grab it? Uh, so, in 2015, a woman in Riverside, California, again, was trying to get into her ex-boyfriend's house, possibly to steal her kids back, and then she got stuck. She lived and was only stuck for a short time. She was lucky. Oh, that's good, but that's very misguided. (laughs) Yes, very misguided. And, like, five years before that, in Bakersfield, California, a doctor named Jacqueline uh, Koderak tried to get into her own again, off again boyfriend's house while he was home, the boyfriend actually slipped out to avoid her. And so then she decided it was a good idea to try to come in through the chimney. And three days later, the house sitter noticed a smell um, coming from the chimney. I'm just going to, I mean, not to disrespect the dead or anything, but I'm going to say that that guy probably did right by trying to avoid her. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. No way is, is that on him. Um, so it should be obvious that using the chimney generally won't work for anyone or as a way of getting into the house. So if you lock your keys in the house, do not try to go through the chimney. Yes. At all. Um It's weird. And it's also very tragic that <laughs> people weird. try anyway. Right. <laughs> So if you're in California, you're at particular risk. There's a high chance that you (laughs) will die, and even higher chance if you live in California. Um, Oh my God! So in the South, obviously, we do have skeletons in our chimney. (laughs) In 2011, a construction worker in Abbeville, Louisiana, was helping to turn a bank's vacant second floor into offices. Tugged on some fabrics. in the chimney and was showered with old clothes and human bones. Oh my god! So the bones belong to Joseph Schneckschneider. Schneckschneider. <laughs> Thank you. I said that correctly. Thank you. Um, <laughs> we became, uh, oh, who became trapped and apparently died in the bank's chimney in 1984. Wow. He had been missing for 27 years. Oh my god. What? I don't know. With the remains found in the chimney was a yellow long sleeve shirt, a pair of jeans, blue tennis shoes, uh, sh- jockey shorts that had his name printed in the waistband. And there was also like magazines, a magazine and gloves. What? He had a wallet with a copy of his birth certificate, social security card, and a few pictures. So he was easily identifiable. Um, Why did he have a magazine and gloves? Up? Did he climb in there to... I uh, see. We'd, uh, what that's, kind of magazine? No. <laughs> No, I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, from the way that the skeleton was recovered, they like they feel like it was apparent that he was trying to come he was crawling into a fourth <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
That was so funny. <clears throat> okay. He was trying to climb into a 14 by 14 inch. <laughs> we'll be right back after this giggle fest. <laughs> That's uh, a small space. It is a very small space. It's bigger than three inches. And but... then. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, <laughs> the, the chimney was, you know, it was very small to begin with, and then it just got more narrow. So when he went down, he wasn't able to um, climb his way back out. And there was no way out at the bottom because, again, there was three inches at the bottom where the flue was. And, you know, he just got stuck in there. And if he had tried to call for help, which I'm sure he did, he was 20 feet above the street and encased in bricks. Oh, man. So there was no way that anybody would have heard him. Uh, His voice would have just carried up away from the street. And one of the things, though, about uh, Abbeville, Louisiana, that uh, one of the like the sheriff's was talking about is they have flat rooftops and it is well known that the town children will climb up there and sit on the roofs. And like, that's just kind of a hangout space for a lot of the kids. And he said, even it was a hangout space for him back in his day. And now he spends most of his time chasing children off the rooftops. And from that particular bank on the corner of the street, uh, there was like a really nice view across the courthouse and beyond. So you could see like, you know, from a long ways off and 87, they did go in and all the chimneys up there, uh, they capped off so that nobody would try to crawl in or anything like that. Mm. It was a safety issue. In 2001 in Natchez, Mississippi, a local Mason was trying or was working on a chimney um, on the second floor floor of a riverboat gift shop building when he found human foot, (gasps) a human foot and leg bones in socks and cowboy boots. Oh, my God. That just got to be the most fucked up thing to just stumble across. Uh, You know, police later chiseled through the chimney from the inside and found the rest of the skeleton, including a short shirt and a pair of blue jeans, jewelry, and a wallet. And it was um, Calvin Wilson who had disappeared in the mid-80s. Uh, so he's he was, like, gone for, like, 17 years or so. Wow. So strangely enough, though, the officials found a body um, in the same town in Natchez at the International Paper Mill uh, that had been misidentified as his body. So his family already thought he was dead and that was his body. And I don't know how they misidentified the body. I don't know if they just didn't have dental records or DNA or anything. I mean, this is Natchez, Mississippi. It's, you know, poor resources, Mm -hmm. you know, not, not a lot of money. So I'm sure there was not that much support. Uh, the authorities, you know, didn't think anything of foul play was involved in the death. Uh, and he also, they also think, though, that Wilson might have been trying to break into the store when he got stuck up there. So the moral of all of these tales is <laughs> me tado ti walker, lichikichikali, molly, dingo, dingo, chimneys will fuck you up. Thank y'all for listening. (laughs) Have a good week. Bye.
Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our website, thestrangesouth.com. All our social media links are there. And for extra fun and goodies, join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast. And if you love us so much that you want to support what we do and get bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes photos and videos, please consider joining our Patreon, Patreon, Patreon at www.patreon.com slash thestrangesouth.